Thank you, Lord. Family, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says this, And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him. You greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. We don't see Jesus, but we believe in Him. We love Him. We trust Him. We obey Him. You know, the, the Christian response to the gospel, when you understand everything the Scripture says, is we lay our lives down for Christ. That's Christianity, is that you lay your life down. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been, and I hope we can say it too, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A death, a death takes place at salvation. You get laid down, as we're, as we're going to talk about at baptism, and Christ is resurrected inside you. That's reality. That's truth. So love him, him. Love him. Believe him. Obey him. And be encouraged in your walk with Christ. Amen? If you're able to have a seat, you may take a seat. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this truth. Great to see everyone in fellowship this morning. We have an amazing service plan. You know, every service is amazing when you open the Bible, first off. Okay, so every Sunday is awesome because we studied the Word together. But awesome, more importantly, equally, is we're going to do some baptisms this morning at the close of service. So I'm very thankful, man. It's always a joy to see believers get water baptized. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. But please turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We are studying verses 1 through 12 this morning. Matthew chapter 7, verses uh, 1 through 12. And the title of my message this morning is Attitudes of the Heart. Man, you could go so many different directions with that theme, Attitudes of the Heart. You know, Christianity is about the heart. It's about where is your heart? Are you born again? Are you trusting in Christ? Are you making wise decisions? And I'm so thankful for the Word of God and for Jesus' words here in the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to address it directly. So I, I, lo I love how when you study the Bible and you study Scripture, it answers all of our questions and it gives us directions. And the three attitudes of the heart, I said that's a big, broad statement. We're going to narrow it down to three subjects I believe that Jesus is touching on here. And they are, one, the first attitude of the heart is being judgmental. Are you judgmental? We're going to define what judgmental means this morning, and hopefully uh, the Word of God is going to sharpen us, and the Holy Spirit is going to uh, correct us if need be, and help us to exercise biblical judgment. Secondly, is do you, uh, the second attitude of the heart is the precious pearl of God's Word. I don't know if, we, I don't know if, we, I don't know if we're able to capture that. I don't know if many people even capture that thought. The, the precious pearl of God's Word how amazing and awesome this book is. It's the very word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. Theonostos. It means it's, it's breathed out by God. 
You have the creator of the universe speaking to you and I through the pages of Scripture. But it's a, it's a precious pearl. And the third one is, is uh, having confidence in prayer. Now, we're in church. Everybody here believes in prayer. I have no doubt about that. But here's my question for you that we're going to talk about this morning. Do you have confidence in your prayers? Do you have confidence in your prayers? So we're going to address them in that order. And uh, so let's, let's take a look at it. Let's take a look at it. First off, I want to read verses 1 through 5 to kind of get your minds oriented in the, in the text of what Jesus is saying here. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the same way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of the brother's eye. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, as we study these three attitudes of the heart this morning, change our hearts uh, refine us, sanctify us, correct us, and help us to grow in these areas of our life. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. So, number one, the first attitude of the heart is being judgmental. Let's look at chapter 7, verse 1. It'll be on the screen, or you can look in your Bibles. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Now, first off, this is one of the most misused Bible verses in all of Scripture. If the unbelieving world had a favorite Bible verse, this is it. If you challenge something they are doing wrong or point out a sin, they will snap at you and say, Judge not, lest you be judged. As if to say, you are wrong for calling them out for their sin. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Is that what Jesus is saying here in chapter 7? Questions to think about. Did, did, was John the Baptist, did he break this commandment when he called out Herod for his adultery? Did Jesus break this commandment when he called out the Pharisees for their sin of unbelief? Did Peter break this commandment on the day of Pentecost when he called Israel to turn from their sin? Did Paul break this commandment in Acts chapter 17 when he told the men on Mars Hill to repent, were they breaking this commandment? Obviously, the answer is no. When people use this verse to say you can't use discernment or call sin what it is, they are revealing their shallow understanding of what the Word of God says. So what does Jesus mean? That's the big question. What does Jesus mean when he makes this statement? Let's continue. Let's let Jesus define what this statement means. Us Bible students call it context. Let's take a look at it. Look at verse 2. He says, for in, the, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, there's two phrases there in verse 2 that you need to pay careful and close attention to. The first one is judge. The Greek word for judge is karino. And that word means to condemn. Okay, so he's saying here, in the same way you condemn, you will be judged. And look at this, the second phrase, it says in there, by your standard of measure. Okay, that's very key to understanding this verse. He says, 
Jesus says, by your standard of measure, not by my standard of measure. The judgment that Jesus is prohibiting here is when we judge by our own standard of measure. We call that human judgment. Human judgment is harsh. Human judgment is condemning. There is no grace. There is no mercy. It's when you're standing in final judgment over a person's soul. You are damning them. And you are giving them no hope. And Jesus says, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Matter of fact, if you judge people like that, he's going to judge you in the same manner. So that's the first judgment that Jesus is prohibiting here. It's when we judge by our standard, by our own standard, and not by God's standard. But there's also a second judgment that Jesus prohibits in this passage, and that's found in verses 3 through 5. So let's look at verses 3 through 5. He says here, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. Take, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The second judgment that Jesus is prohibiting here on the Sermon on the Mount is what we call hypocritical judgment. And Jesus condemns it. That's telling someone else to repent while you practice the same thing. You have a mask on. You practice, uh, you're not practicing what you preach. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 21 through 23. uh, Romans says, You therefore who teach another... Do you not teach yourself, you who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in law, though you're breaking the law, do you dishonor God? Can you say, practice what you preach? Is the theme, is the summation of this teaching of of being judgmental? We have to practice what what we preach. Uh, Hypocrisy destroys our witness. Hypocrisy destroys our testimony. Your word, my word, carries no weight if we do not practice what we preach. we got to be people of our word and people of our character before we start trying to help someone else get their life in order or, or, or challenge them in an area of your life. So, do we judge? Here's the big question. Here's the big question I think everybody's asking in their mind. Do we judge sinful actions when you see it? If you see a sinful action, do we judge it? Yes, absolutely. But you do it in a spirit of grace. You do it in a spirit of truth. You do it in a spirit of love. Your attitude is not to condemn the person. Your attitude is to point them to the love and grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we should do. That is what we should do. And we, and we, sh- and we should want to do that because we love each other. We want to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to help the world come to know Christ. Listen to me. Listen, and listen clearly. It is the ultimate betrayal. It is the ultimate betrayal of Christian love to see someone doing something that will destroy their life and say nothing. That is the ultimate betrayal of Christian love. So how do we do it? 
Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespasses, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that, so that you too will not be tempted. There's two words I want you to see in Galatians 6, 1. First off is the word restore. You who are, are spiritual. What does it say? Restore. Everybody say that together. One, two, three, restore. One, two, three. Restore. Restore. That is the objective of helping a friend or brother or sister in Christ grow and challenging them in the area of, of the areas of their Christian walk. You want to restore them. You want to see them grow closer to Christ. You don't want to see them walk away. You don't want to see them dip out. You want to see them grow closer to Christ. So how do we restore? The second phrase, I'm going to get to it in a minute, but the second phrase in Galatians 6.1 is um, halfway through it, the spirit of gentleness. So the word restore, I'm looking at, and spirit of gentleness. So how do we restore? How do we restore a friend, a neighbor, a brother, or sister in Christ, or someone we want to help that we see that they're living in sin? First off, you restore by doing it in love. You got to do it in a spirit of love and grace and compassion. Show them that you care. You're not there to humiliate them. You're not there to embarrass them. You know, it's nobody else's business. It's just between you and them. Hey, I love you. I'm concerned about you. And just want you to think about some things I've seen. And, you know, but do it in love. Share scripture. Number two, share scripture. For the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two, double-edged sword. The word of God penetrates our souls. Share scripture verses, not as a tool or as a hammer, but as a word of encouragement. Hey, I was reading about this, and I just want to share this passage of scripture with you. Thirdly, share your testimony. Many times I've, 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 I've come across a brother who is struggling in an area of his life, and I will share with him my testimony. Because nine times out of ten, most of us men have struggled in the same areas of our life. And the ladies, nine times out of ten, y'all have had the same struggles in your life. So I will share with that person my testimony of how God helped me get out of that sin. Fourthly, do it privately. It's nobody else's business. Nobody else's business. You should tell no one. Don't even tell your pastor. I mean, unless they're like in church leadership or something or something that's huge that has repercussions across the body of Christ, don't, I'm not the principal, okay? If you see your brother or sister in Christ living in sin, don't, don't come to me. That's not what Matthew 18 says. Matthew 18 does not say go to the pastor. It says go to the brother or sister. Go to them in private and do it privately. No one else needs to know. It's between you two. Um, one, two, three, four. Fifth, do it prayerfully. Do it prayerfully. Say, God, give me a heart of compassion, Lord. Help me, Lord, with my body language. Help me, Lord, with my tone of voice. Help me in the way I want to talk to them and help them. Again, this is the most loving thing you could do is challenging and helping another believer. And sixthly, how to restore them is be willing to help them. Go the extra mile. Say, brother, for me, I would say, brother, I'm going to come alongside you, man. And I'm going to be praying with you, sharing scripture with you. We're going to have some coffee together. We're going to have some fellowship together. 
and I'm going to come alongside you, and I'm going to go the extra mile. That's what I believe Paul is talking about in Galatians 6.1 when he says, restore. Restore the person. The second one is halfway through the verse. Notice it says, you're, it, it tells you and I what type of attitude. It says what? Do it in a spirit of gentleness. Let me repeat that. Do it in a spirit of gentleness. Don't treat them like the Taliban and you're a Tomahawk cruise missile and you're coming in to blow them up. That is not the way we help our brothers and sisters and help people grow in Christ. We do it in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of humility, in a spirit of love, in a spirit of compassion. We share God's truth to help others leave their sinful ways by repenting and turning to God, okay? It's, it's, it's not just enough to say that's sin, but it's, 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 it's enough to say that is sin, but you can take it to Jesus and he will forgive you and set you free. You know, we, we diagnose the problem, but we also give the medicine as a, as a kind, caring Christian should do. So that's the spirit of judgment that we see in Scripture. So do we call out sin? Yes, we call out sin. But we do it in a spirit of truth and grace. This is the attitude of the heart. My opening statement, attitudes of the heart. This is the attitude of the heart that we have in exercising judgment. And that takes us verses 1 through 5. The next one is is found in verse 6. And this attitude of the heart is uh, understanding the precious pearl of God's word. Attitude again, understanding the precious pearl of God's word. Look at verse 6. This is a fascinating verse. A lot of people quote it. A lot of people talk about it. I'm going to give you my shot at it this morning, what it means. Because there are multiple interpretations of it. But um, verse 6, he says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before the swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Hmm. This is, I think the, the point here is how we address those who are antagonistic towards the gospel. But I think the big theme here is, is the words he uses, the pearls. You know, we share God's truth and God's promise with all people in hopes that they will trust in the Lord. But there will be those who respond with antagonism to God's word. Now, this isn't just people that just are not hearing or not listening. These are people who turn in anger. They reject. They despise. They hate. They fight against the truth of God's word. Such people are spiritual dogs and swine. They take that which is holy, the pearl, the pearl of God's word, and they undermine, attack, laugh at it, and mock it. The consequences of their rejection of God's word and salvation in Christ will not be fully realized until they step into eternity and they stand before a God who judges them for their sin. On that day, they will realize the precious pearl of God's word, but it will be too late as they shriek in horror in the torments of hell. Their condemnation will be greater on judgment day because they heard the truth but chose to reject it. The word of God 
is a precious pearl. It is a precious treasure. This book, the Bible, tells us what salvation is, how to obtain salvation. This book tells us how to be forgiven of our sins. This book tells us how to find new life in Christ. So without this book, you're lost in your sin. Without this book, you're lost in darkness. But with the pearl of Scripture that brings us to faith in Christ, it's beautiful, it's magnificent, it's glorious. It's this beautiful pearl. That's why we don't peddle the Word of God. We don't manipulate the Word of God. We don't twist the Word of God. We love the Word of God. We cherish the Word of God. We defend it. We live by it. God's Word is holy, and it is the precious pearl. It's what feeds our soul. Paul said in Romans, um, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You know, have you ever read Psalm 119? Beautiful chapter. And there's over 100 verses in there, many more than that. I think it's like 150. How many? 176. I knew it was way up there. I didn't have the number of eyes. But this is just this whole entire chapter in the book of Psalms committed to this truth, the pearl and the treasure of God's word. Family, treasure God's word. Obey God's word. When you read the word of God, the Holy Spirit uses it to to refine us and sanctify us and help us grow in holiness. So treasure the precious pearl of God's word. I always wonder sometimes, will there be a Bible in heaven? I think there will be. What version? I have no idea. But the word of God, man, it's, it's, it's a, it, it takes us, it lights our path to the cross. It lights our path to heaven. It teaches us. It helps us keep our way pure. It is a beautiful pearl. Just imagine with me for a second, the world without the Bible. We would be a train wreck. It would be a really mess. But Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this precious pearl. And finally this morning, uh, the third attitude of the heart that Jesus is addressing here is uh, found in, starting in verse 7. And that attitude of the heart is this, having confidence in our prayer. I started this week off in my study, I was just going to talk about prayer. But as I studied on the passage and I meditated on the passage, I found what Jesus, the thought that Jesus was grabbing here, and I'll show it to you in a minute, is not only just being a prayerful person, but having confidence that God will answer our prayer, that we pray we present our request to the Lord and our hearts settle and we have peace and we know that God is faithful and we know our Heavenly Father hears our prayer. So my hope this morning as we go through this passage right here that each and every one of you understand that God hears your prayers, Christian. He hears your prayers. He knows where you're at and He will be faithful to answer every single prayer request. Now that answer... It's to be determined. It could be yes, it could be no, it could be wait. But the, but the bottom line is, he hears every single prayer. Let's take a look at it, verse 7. Verse 7. Verses, this is going to take us verses 7 through 11. I, I got a bonus attitude of the heart at verse 12, but let's look at verses 7 through 11. He says, uh, ask 
and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you believe in the power of prayer? Does our prayer life reflect our belief in the power of prayer? Do we spend that much amount of time in prayer and fellowship with the Lord and, and lifting him up? Do, does, it, does that reflect our value of prayer? We need to be people of prayer. We need to carve out time in our daily lives to spend time with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in our prayer closet. Have an intimate fellowship, sweet time with him. Praising him, exalting him, confessing our sin to him, uh, lifting up our supplications. But we need to spend time in prayer. Number two, do you see results when you pray? You know, uh, I'm one of those, I believe in what you call opening your eyes after you pray. You know what that means? After I pray, I got my eyes open physically and spiritually saying, God, I'm looking for the answer. Because I know you're the creator of this universe. You're the creator of this earth. Psalms 24 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all those who dwell in it. This all belongs to my heavenly father. And I have confidence in our, when I pray, Lord, I'm looking for your answer. Open my eyes. Let me see it. Where is your confidence level? Where is your confidence? That's a question I want each of you to ask yourself right now on a scale of one to 10. And don't say it out loud. You say it to yourself in your own heart. Where is your confidence level in your prayer life? Where's your confidence level? Well, I'm hoping I, I, I'm going to take it up higher than what it is right now. Let's continue. Verse 8. He says, um, For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. So Jesus here is encouraging us to pray. He says three things there. He encourages us to ask. He encourages us to seek. And he encourages us to knock. That word ask it means to position, to, to petition, to present uh, your request before the Lord. We need to verbally, it needs to come off our lips in our prayer closet. Lord, I'm lifting up this person's salvation. Lord, I'm asking God that you will provide in this area of my life. Lord, Father, I'm broke. I have no money. I have no money to pay rent. Lord, help me. Show me what I need to do. Show me where I need to go get a job. But we need to verbally Present our request to the Lord. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. He says, Let your request be made known to God. You have to ask. And then secondly, he says, You have to seek. I, I call this praying with your eyes open. Look for God's answer. You know, when you pray, and you say, Lord, please provide Please open up a door. Well, be looking for that door to be open. Have some exercise, some faith. Lord, I'm trusting in you. Show me what door to step through. Show me how you're going to work in this area of my life. I, this, is, this is high confidence in prayer. And I believe we can have this high confidence in our prayer life as we're serving the Lord. And then thirdly, he says there in verse 8, he says, knock. Don't just, again, knock. Don't just sit back and do nothing, just kind of twiddle your thumbs, like, okay, God, I'm just, I'm waiting for you to do something, you know. That's not the attitude in prayer. The attitude in prayer is to look for the doors 
that God is opening up. Take a step of faith. Take a step of faith. Don't worry. If you, if you, if you take the wrong step, he'll, he'll pull you back. He'll get you back on track. But sometimes we've got to take a step of faith. And notice uh, in verse 8, what I want you to see is the word ask, seek, and knock has what kind of letter on the end of it? Look at the words. S. It's, these are, all three of these words are present tense, meaning that we ask, seek, and knock continuously. Continuously. We come to the Lord continuously in an attitude of prayer, lifting up our supplications, lifting up our prayer requests. So it's present tense, continuous. And then also notice the three, three words in verse 8 I want to draw to your attention. Is, uh, it says there, um, receive, and it's an S on the end, finds, and will be, receives, finds, and opened. Those three words in verse 8 are in the present tense. That means that God answers every prayer. God answers every prayer. Now, the answer to that prayer is, is, is completely up to him and his sovereignty and his plan. But I can say with confidence, he answers every prayer. He either gives you a yes, no, or wait. And that's where we have to exercise faith. And there's even times where we pray, we have to examine our hearts and say, Lord, am I asking this with the wrong motives? Do I need to be praying about something else? Instead of you answering the prayers, is there something you want me to change in my life? He's not a magic genie. He's not someone that we just come to him and ask for a Lamborghini or, or a mansion. You know, we ask him to take care of us and we ask him to provide for us. But the bottom line of verses 7 and 8 is our confidence to answer prayer is he will answer our prayer. And then to further concrete this, Jesus is going to give us an illustration of fatherhood in verses 9 through 11. Look at the illustration that Jesus, I'm so thankful, you know, pastors aren't the only ones. We didn't start illustrations, Jesus did. But look at the illustration starting in verse 9. He says, verse 9, What man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Now, look at closely at verse 11. There's two key words that I want to pull out of here. And it's the word good. It's the word good. If you then being evil, talking about us sinners here on earth, men, fathers, know how to give good gifts. You know, as fathers, we want to give our children good gifts. We want to take care of our family. You know, no one's got Emily and Daniel's better interest than mom and dad, because we want what's good for them. But notice what he says in the second half of verse 11. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good? James says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of the heavenly lights, which there is no shifting or shadows. What he's saying here in verse 11, I believe, is God is a perfect heavenly Father who knows exactly what you need, and he knows exactly how to take care of you. 
Now, he's not saying God will do exactly what you ask for. Remember, when you pray, you are not telling God what to do. It does not work that way. We don't command God. In prayer, we are humbly asking God to provide and to work according to his perfect will. We know in our hearts that because God is a good, good father, his answer will be perfect for everything we face in this life. Have confidence, friends. Have confidence, family, in your prayers, in your prayer life, that God hears your prayer and God will work on your behalf in this life, okay? But this all goes back to the, the beginning point, which I really hadn't talked about, is we gotta be a praying people. We gotta believe in the power of prayer. And not only do we have to believe in the power of prayer, we gotta have confidence. We gotta have confidence in our prayers that, that is, is, is they are in a line in accordance with his word, his truth, his will, and his way that God delights in answering our prayers. So the, the, the third, third attitude of the heart is having confidence in prayer. You know, spend time with the Lord. And don't be, a, you, you may be facing a big challenge in your life. It could be something related to your health. It could be something related to your job, something related to your family. Pray. Present it to the Lord. Say, God, I wanna, I'm giving this to you, God. I am lifting up my son. I am lifting up my daughter. I'm lifting up this really dire situation I'm facing. And Lord, I present it to you. And by faith, I, I lay it at your throne. And then step back and an attitude of faith and prayer continuing. The, whole, the, the, the present tense verses of ask, seek, not receive, find, open. All those are plural. Continue in that attitude and let the Lord work mightily in your life. We serve a God who answers prayer. And we need to believe that. We need to have that confidence in our prayer life. We don't pray just to send words up into the air. We pray because we serve an eternal, sovereign God who rules and reigns over the universe. And he rules and reigns in our lives by his spirit dwelling inside of us. That is what Jesus is saying here here as we, as we at the close of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the, the, the fourth attitude of the heart, this is a bonus. There's no slide for it. But um, as I was meditating on it, thinking of it, the, there's, I'm going to give you a bonus. You get a bonus this morning. You get a freebie. All right? Get, a, get an extra. It's found in verse 12. The, 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 next, the, the final attitude of the heart is, uh, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. And what do we call this? The golden rule. Very good. This is called the golden rule in life. Have you ever heard people say that? You ever hear people talk about the golden rule and talk about this kind of language? This is where it came from. It came from Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. But this fourth attitude of the heart is exercise the golden rule. Treat people like you want to be treated. If you want people to be nice to you, be nice to them. If you want people to forgive you, forgive them. If you want people to exercise grace towards you, you exercise grace. 
you know, the, the, the characteristics and the type of person, the type of people we're around is greatly impacted by the way we treat them. You know, be, be a magnet. Be a Christ follower who's passionate about showing grace, love, truth, forgiveness, mercy, and all those wonderful attributes of the Christian life. Be that Christian. Be that to people, regardless of how they treat you. But hopefully, they'll understand the golden rule, and when, they, when you love them, you show them grace, you show them compassion, you'll get some of it back. But that's what it's saying. As followers of Christ, let's commit to being examples for all people to follow. So in closing, attitudes of the heart that we want to pray this morning and we want to ask the Lord to change our hearts and to help us grow in these areas. One is don't be judgmental. Don't damn people. Don't, you're not the judge and the jury over people's soul. Do we call out sin? Yes. But in calling out someone's sin and doing it privately, doing it in love, doing it in truth, doing it in grace, we point them to Jesus. We say, man, God can give you victory over that area of your life if you'll just surrender it to him. We point them to grace. We point them to Jesus. Secondly, the precious pearl of God's word. Man, love God's word. Treasure God's word. Enjoy God's word. Let it be the joy of your heart. When you wake up in the morning and you open your Bible, say, God, thank you. Thank you that I get another day to open your word and, and read the pages of Scripture. And understand that we, as you're reading it, God is speaking to you. And finally, not only pray. I'm taking a step above what, what this text is saying here. Not only pray, but have confidence in your prayer life. You know, I was a wretched, deplorable, hell-bound sinner. ACDC, guns and roses, head-banging, drug-using, heathen. Uh, before I got saved. And uh, I had this grandmother. She was praying for me. She prayed for me, not just once, but year after year after year, praying for my salvation. And I, I, I loved darkness. I, I lived for the world. I lived in every type of sin you can imagine. I, it, was, it was not my way of life. But, and here I was living in, in Irmo, South Carolina, in 1989, my grandmother down in Augusta, Georgia, she was on her knees and she was praying for her grandson. And God miraculously, supernaturally answered her prayers. She saw all the years of rebellion. She saw all the times I was going astray, all the terrible decisions I was making. But, but God graciously saved me as a result of my grandmother and her prayers going up to her heavenly father. Saying, Lord, please rescue David. Please save him. And then in the spring of 1992, I surrendered my life to Christ. Gave my life to him. Heard the gospel. Believed it. Trusted it. And, rescued, and he rescued me. And let me tell you, do you think she had confidence in prayer? Yes. Because there was nothing on the outside of me. I was showing no signs of turning towards the Lord. I was signs of living for the world. And she miraculously, God miraculously saved me through her faithful prayers. So friends and family, have confidence in your prayer life. Amen? And then finally, treat people like you want to be treated. 
You want, you want love? Show love. You want grace? Show grace. Let's, let's exercise the fruit of the Spirit and, and being kind and compassionate to all people. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I have no enemies. I have no enemies in this world. No matter who they are, what they are, where they are, whatever. You know, I see all people as the same as I see myself. Sinners in need of grace. People that need Jesus. In the church and outside the church. We're all in this together, family. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, thank you for this study in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Lord, change our hearts this morning. Spirit of the living God, help us, Lord, not to be judgmental and condemning. Help us, Lord, to value the precious pearl of God's word. And Lord, help us all to have confidence in prayer. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. All God's people said, amen.